Hello and welcome to Two Wizards and a Mic, a podcast about D&D where a couple of old farts like to talk about a game they've been playing since the 70s. Uh, my name is Shane. And I am Andrew. And of course, this podcast is sponsored by Kwood Publishing, worldofmere.com. And today, we're doing something very interesting. We have not done this before, uh, but we are doing a deep dive into a book. And Andrew, what book is that? Today, we're going to look at Monsters of Feyland. Dun, dun, dun. It's the first book in the monster series we've done. We will look at other books and other publishers' uh, adventures and things, but we thought we'd start off by looking at Feyland. And tonight we'll go through the first half book, half of the book or so. And um, there's a lot more to it than it might might uh, you know might be seen at first glance. Uh, there's yeah, there's a lot more to these books. That's actually true because we, as I've been delving into world creation and stuff like that over the past couple of years, um, it's actually kind of hard. Like it's easy to come up with the creative stuff, but then you got to get down into, I'm going to have these creatures, or I'm going to create some creatures, or I'm going to invent some NPCs. And you have to realize that you need to balance them because otherwise it can just be uh, I don't know, like a, a, an adventure where all of the characters die in the first 20 feet of the game yeah. um, because you decided for whatever reason, gelatinous cube is right underneath everybody as you start. But uh, yeah, I I, I got to say, it's, it's as you said, there's far more going on in the background than I think people can re realize a lot of the time. Yeah, so I think we'll go, we'll do an in-depth dive. We'll leave the links below if people are interested in purchasing the book. We'll also put links of other videos that we've done and other people have done reviewing the book. And um, that's always interesting to see different points of view. And tonight you're going to hear from the uh, the horse's mouth, the unicorn's mouth. <laughs> the black unicorn's mouth. <laughs> yes, the behind the scenes true story of Monsters of Feyland. I was walking down the street one day, and I was attacked by a large bird. Then I decided, <laughs> uh, what creature are we going to talk about first? Well, first, I'm just gonna, I'll talk just about the intro here. So the cover, the cover actually, and the, the title took a while to decide upon. I knew that I wanted to do a book about fae because, um, to me, fairy tales and fae creatures are really at the heart of fantasy stories and and D, D in many ways and um i there were there are not many fey in the core books for D, D for fifth edition even for the other editions there's not many fey most of the time so um <clears throat> i wanted to do it and i knew the artist that um, i thought would you know really bring it to life um and then i came up with the title sort of the idea originally came because of like babes of toyland <laughs> really um, yeah one night i was like that's such a great title and then i was like oh monsters of Feyland." it just came to me uh you know sometimes you work on creative things for months and years and other times something just comes right away and then i decided i knew exactly what i wanted on the cover which was a central tree like the world tree in mythology 
that is neutral and wise and all-powerful. And then on one side, the dark side of the Fae, which in this case is the black unicorn. And on the other side, the good side of the Fae, which in this case is a Fae elf ranger. And um, yeah, and I think this is still our most popular cover. For sure, it's our most popular book still. And I love what Travis Hansen did. And um, he's the one who illustrates all of the all of the book, all of the creatures, all 100 monsters. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it really works the balance of those different energies on the cover. And, and tell me, how did the model of this cover come to be? Like, because I remember when this book first came out, I would say like a month or two after you suddenly got something in the mail. Right. And it was like a diorama of this tree. How how did that happen? Was that just like coincidence or like they just decided um, no, to No, so yeah, good question. So the book was published in 2019 and um, I got to know a miniatures painter online. Uh, his painter name or his his professional name is Michael Mordor and he <laughs> lives in Scotland and he, um, you can find him online. We'll put his links below too, an amazing painter and we just hit it off online and um, he loved the book right away when it came out and wanted to do um, basically do a diorama of the cover and send it as a present. Um, he didn't charge any for anything and he sculpted the tree. I'll put a, I'll put links to, um, to that as well down below and uh, sent this amazing diorama where he had sculpted the tree out of clay, I believe. And then he used some miniatures to represent the, the elf ranger and the unicorn and painted it exactly like Travis Hansen had done the cover. And uh, yeah, it uh, was amazing. I remember getting that in this box, not knowing what what it, what is this and unwrapping it. And the, yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful job. Yeah, I mean, it, it was amazing because I remember first seeing it and I thought, wow, how much did this cost to have it put together? And you're like, it just showed up. This cool yeah. guy just, just sent it. Oh, yeah. like, you you would pay, I mean, people would pay hundreds of dollars for something like that for sure. So it was quite a gift. So yeah, and we're still, we still work together and um, he's actually right now mailing some um, buildings that he's painted for us which you'll get to see at our gaming table. Oh, cool. Yeah. Looking forward to that. All right. Are we done with the front? Yeah. So let's move just a little bit further here. So we can skip past table all of contents here. And so first of all, they introduce you a bit to Feyland and just talk about how this is a magical world, uh, a fairy land that is, basically an alternate reality, a different plane than the normal prime material plane, and that you can reach it by different means through portals and walking through a mirror, or maybe you're sent there. And then um, there's some advice about how to run Feyland, about how there's a lot of magic involved. A lot of the creatures have spells and they also have resistance to magic. And um, things might not always be what they seem as well. There might be time might, you know, move differently. Uh, the weather might be different. 
seasons might be permanent. In our Monsters of Feyland 2 book, we get into more detail about this and different parts of Feyland are permanently those seasons. So there's a part of Feyland that's permanently summer, part that's permanently spring, etc. And then we also talk about the different elements of the factions in Feyland. So the main two courts are the good Seely court and the evil unseely court. And the Seely court is the summer court and spring court combined. And the unseely is the autumn court and the winter court. And all these ideas come from folklore in Europe. So we've used and been inspired, inspired by a lot of those ideas. And we put a chart here to so, show you where many of the creatures in the book, where they fit. And then creatures don't, that don't fit into those two courts, they're termed wild fey. And most of them, most of the Seelie court is chaotic good. Most of the unseelie court is chaotic evil. And then the wild fey, most of them are chaotic neutral. You're not going to have many lawful creatures uh, in Feyland. It's all about chaos and freedom and it's very emotional. And um, yeah, so that's this gives people an overview of what kind of setting you're playing in and where those creatures are from. And then in the new book in Feyland 2, we'll give you much more detail. That's very cool. That's incredibly cool. Because a lot of these, um, as your books have gone on, I mean, you get very deep in the more recent books into the whole storytelling and and uh, giving people ideas about how all of these creatures actually, uh, they just don't, they just don't exist. There is a life behind them. There are uh, alliances. There are you know some people or some creatures that are would be at loggerheads all the time, um, which is very cool. And like giving that whole arc of uh, what's going on in the background, aside from just creatures and the uh, the stat tables. So, yeah, exactly, and. This book, because it was our first one, we do a really basic version of the monster manual. So this one is A to Z, but this first introduction and the lore in the that's written in the book about the characters can give you more of an idea of how to use it as a setting book, like you say, and how to you know make it a campaign book. I mean, I especially like uh, how you've laid out the courts and things, not specifically because of the higher knowing where the hierarchy is. But actually having the quick page turn like, oh, I want to get that. That was that creature. Oh, yeah, there it is. Page 83. Boom. And right. Go right there. I kind of yeah. like that. All right. Yeah. So let's get into the creatures. So we have a big picture on the left there, illustration that Travis did. So that's the the one on the left comes up in the giant section. So we'll talk about him uh, briefly. But we thought it was a great way to to open the book, it's almost like that giant is opening the pages. Like here, you're you're coming into Feyland, and there's two uh, adventurers at the bottom there, and you can get a, a sense of the the size and the magnitude of what you're what you're getting yourself into. Exactly, because sometimes you don't quite understand or catch right away about what the scale is or something. Because when I read a creature and you see like, oh, it's size medium, or it's size this, or size that. Sometimes these creatures are so large that you kind of want to be able to know uh, what kind of roles you're going to have to make in order to scale it and stab it in the face, because that's sort of yeah. my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. All right. So the first creature um, is the Arcane Stalker. And this creature actually is inspired by 
these characters in the Dresden file books, which I've mentioned a few times, yeah. they have these creatures called wardens who are basically the, the police or the guardians for the good wizard court, the white court. And they have powerful swords that help them deal with spellcasters. So that was really one of the inspirations. And then we did our own thing. So these creatures are especially designed to take on spellcasters, especially in the dark. But they have magic resistance. Their swords can actually dispel magic, uh, as well as being a great sword, which does a lot of damage. And they have some magic as well to help them get around. So they're they're a pretty tough opponent. And um, I like having creatures that are designed to deal with certain challenges. And these are specifically, you know, chosen to hunt wizards and sorcerers down. Yeah, I like things like uh, the the uh, the steed that they can uh, conjure out of, out of thin air and see invisibility. That to me yeah. is a killer one because there are times where, I mean, you just know that somebody wants to turn invisible or turn the party invisible to escape, you know, whatever might be coming along. But something like this, yeah. I mean, imagine three or four of them together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, we just had them in our in the uh, Greyhawk campaign that we're playing. And that Arc Fae that you fought, he had two of these as bodyguards. So yeah, at high levels, I would have a whole pack of these, you know, half a dozen or, and um, yeah, they can cause a lot of issues. And I love what Travis did with the sword there. He's got runes on it and that cape. And this actually, I'd say, is one of the most popular illustrations from the book. Nice. Yeah. I wonder if there's a T-shirt one could buy. Possibly. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll, this year we'll put out some more merch that's available and that there's a chance, there's definitely some creatures from this book that'll be in the merchandise um, and maybe the Arcane Stalker is one of them. Yes. All right. I'm going to move to the next one. Is that right? Or the next two? Yeah. So... There is a basilisk. So we have the giant basilisk on the left there, and there there is one in. There's a basilisk in the core books, but it's not really that intimidating. So, and the we looked at folklore, um, and were inspired by the basilisk in Harry Potter, which is also inspired directly from folklore, um, and we wanted to make one that was much more powerful. And this one is very dangerous and has all the little details that go with the legend of the basilisk in European folklore, where they still turn people to stone, but they have this feature that's actually a weakness. They are very powerful, but they are, um, they do have this weakness to the cry of a rooster, which is also mentioned in the Harry Potter books. And um, respect for the rooster. Yeah. So if they hear the crowing of a rooster, they have to make a wisdom saving throw. And it's only DC 12. Otherwise, they have to flee the area. And um, they can make the save again after their turn so that it's possible it could retreat and then come back. And um, it also has a breath weapon, which I don't think the core monster has. We added that because that's part of the folklore about these creatures as well. 
On the right, we have a Bogart, which is also actually of all just. I was just going to say. In Harry Potter. And, um, but we actually, again, we went back to folklore. And although some stories with Bogarts in them have them indoors, they're actually um, in the lore and the mythology, they're usually actually in the wilderness. So we included that fact here in the write up. And they turn into creatures' deepest fears. And we had even Travis illustrate something outdoors because as we, you know, we like to look at the original lore and uh, right. the true old version of the Boggart is actually one that's usually more in the wilderness. Okay. And then at the bottom, we actually have an insert called Flora Feyland. So throughout the book, we have a few mushrooms and flowers and different types of flora that you might find in Feyland uh, that are have magical effects. So on each of these page, actually yeah, on this page and the next one, there's some uh, some of that as well. Mithrin Fire. Yeah, it has a cool name. All right. So next is a very classic fairy creature, the brownie, who have been in D and D before, but we thought we'd add our own little uh, twist to it. They are um, good creatures, and there are some good creatures in the book. We like to balance out our our monster books to have a world that's more realistic and to have creatures that actually could maybe help the player sometimes. And um, yeah, so they they're a fairy who has a little bit of magic, um, and they're kind of like more sort of the average fairy kind of creature you might find in Feyland. I'm actually kind of I, I the first time I saw this one I thought of the brownies from the film Willow. Oh really? <laughs> Cuz those little creatures were called I think they're also called brownies if I remember correctly. Yeah. They're, they're kind of cool. Yeah. These are kind of a little bit different in that I think those brownies in in Willow are tiny like they're very very small Yeah, fairy. they're like they're like this big yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. These ones are more like uh halflings or gnomes. Like yeah, it. and then the next two creatures, the one on the right side and the one on the next page, there's there are centaurs in the core books. Um, they're fairly straightforward. So for some reason, they didn't make them fey, which I think they they are fey. I think they made them a monstrosity. And so we made them all fey, and we have one that is a very tough warrior version of the centaur. And the next page, we have a version of the centaur that has magic the centaur mage and to balance things out we we decided to have one male and one female as well and um yeah we thought that'd be a new twist on the centaur what the one on the right oh, sorry? sorry i was just gonna say what what is the so you did a bunch of research for the lore of a centaur i was actually kind of curious yeah. about uh, where it comes from Go yeah another one where, where yeah, well, most of the most of the creatures that we've looked at are from European uh, folklore and mythology. There are a few that are from other places. Um, there's one. There's one actually in this book that it's not really from folklore, but it's a, a plant from South Africa, um, a place that I know well. 
So um, yeah, it's more mostly creatures from stories and like folklore that I have some um, knowledge of. So most of the it is European. And the one on the right there, there are lots of stories in folklore about fey creatures that come to our world, the ordinary world, called changelings, which are part fey. So what we did was we had these creatures be the offspring of doppelgangers and humanoids. And cool. they can shapeshift into basically any kind of... Um, humanoid creature small or medium size and um, they kind of provide a way of linking Feyland with the ordinary world and as i said yeah there's many stories of the changeling kind of creature who's from another world the next section here oh i like so the this next one. This section is one of my favorites you like the Doom Rider? I like the Doom Rider, yeah. It just kind of, it just looks so cool. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about this one is it's not inspired by literature at all, like many of the others. This is actually inspired by a piece of art I saw. And um, I love the idea of this rider on an elk and it's all, un they're undead and they're connected. Basically, they're one creature. Uh, I made it into one creature. And the idea that this has this creature has a lance as well. So a kind of like a dark version, almost like a dark version of a knight and more natural version. Um, like part, it's more part of nature, part of the forest, even though it's an undead creature. Um, sort of reminds me a little bit of the headless horseman myth of that undead creature in, in the woods. And uh, yeah, I love it. It's quite powerful. It's CR 10. And um, the, as I said, it's one being. So the, the elk type creature has antlers it can attack with, it can stomp you with its hooves. And then the rider has a lance, which does a lot of damage, necrotic damage, as well as um, piercing. And um, yeah. Piercing damage plus 22 5D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 5d8 oh, yeah. necrotic damage yeah yeah now okay as much as i like the doom rider yeah as i've told i've told you this before yeah out of all of this out of all the creatures of this book this is the most uh it's a creature that you would never guess can cause you great trouble yeah. Because when you first, when this book, uh, when the book was first published, we had a gaming session. I think it was like a week after you had finished mailing everything out, mm -hmm. and my character encountered this, and it could have gone really badly. Um, but yes, the doubt trout. <laughs> yeah. So you know, creatures can be inspired by lots of things. As I said, the Doom Rider because of a piece of art I saw. But this was just inspired by playing with words. I wanted to have at least one sort of fish creature. And I was playing with words and I just got to rhyming with trout and it just came. Uh, it just came. And then I thought, okay, what does that mean? And so what it means is that anybody who's close to this doubt trout, whether it's in nature or uh, an evil creature is trapped it in a bowl or um, and used it in their lair. That these creatures, if you're within um, 
30 feet, you have disadvantage on your saving throws. And you also must make a successful saving throw to see whether or not you start doubting yourself. So as you say, Shane, this can be a very troublesome creature. And I like creatures like that that are more than they seem. Exactly. And That's exactly it, what this, this creature does for me. Right. And it only has 2d4 hit points. So normally that might that would probably be challenge rating zero. Um, but because of that effect that it has, and it, I mean, it's damage, it's, it's attack is a bite where it's got plus one to hit and one piercing damage. So again, it would probably be challenge rating zero, but because of the doubting, um, effect and the consequences that could happen, you know, we raised it up to a CR one quarter. It might even, you might even raise it a little bit more. It it could be very it could be cause a lot of issues like if it especially if it's in a lair which we mentioned here in the write up if an evil creature had these in like goldfish bowls uh, around its lair large bowls and uh, you were caught in there and you fail your save and you're ready at disadvantage for other saves yeah because yeah, my character I think was actually by himself I think he was scouting ahead. And you just casually, you know, said, by the way, as you get close to the river, so that we were following a river yeah, somewhere, and you said, river. as you get close, yeah. suddenly uh, a fish jumps out of the water and just kind of looks at you and disappears. Yeah. And, yeah. and you suddenly just don't know what to do. So my character yeah. could not report back. It could do nothing because I was, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. should I go back or should I stay here? Yeah. Maybe I should look for the fish, but I don't know. Like it, it really just, it messed, but I mean, that was a tame situation. Like if it, it was, as you said, a bunch of fish in the layer of a villain, uh, in goldfish bowls that could cause all kinds of grief. <laughs> like, should yeah. I attack this guy? He's kind of a jerk, yeah. but I don't know. <laughs> the funny thing about it too, is that there are about half a dozen creatures in the book, including this one that I thought were a bit over the top or maybe slightly silly and i like humor but i think there is there's there are boundaries to it and and then i went no i'm just going to put it in and basically all those monsters are some of the favorites if not all of the favorites so i learned right away you know really go for it if i have a weird idea just do it <laughs> why not yeah. Uh, moving to the next page. Oh, the, right. oh I like this one. Oh, I, I've okay. never encountered it, but I like it. So here's a new, new way to get inspired because I knew I wanted to have some dragons. I mean, there's a reason the game's called Dungeons and Dragons and they're such amazing archetypes. But a lot of what dragons can do has been done. So the main thing that I started with was what's a new breath weapon that has never been done before? And I thought about what if the dragon breathed out a hallucinatory terrain that now the players, the characters had to battle the dragon inside of. And the only way for the players to defeat the dragon or to get out of the terrain back to their normal world um, would be to defeat the dragon. And the dragon can use the terrain that it's created to attack the players as well. 
So that's how that's how that all started. And then I built all the rest of the creature around that. So originally I didn't think of a rainbow colored dragon. I didn't even really think of the name for a while, but I knew that was the breath weapon that I wanted. And um, yeah, so it could have been called like the hallucinogenic dragon or um, there's a number of things that could have been, you know, that it could the have been. The high but... dragon. <laughs> yeah. The mushroom dragon. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> a very, you're right. It is a very, um, yeah, it's a very hallucinogenic, very, uh, you know, something from the late 60s, early 70s. Definitely. Well, that, and, when, and that's what kind of makes it really uh, a great creature because of that fact. Because there's always, I mean, A, if you encountered this in Feyland, already Feyland has a lot of those common properties where you could be doing something and you're actually doing something else. You're, you've either been drugged or you've, or you've been led down a path you didn't realize you're going down because some creature you didn't see is able to manipulate you somehow. But something like this, like, wow, could you imagine? Like, hi, everyone. How are you? Yeah, you've been led down this mushroom path for a little while. And guess what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's very trippy. Or actually, a lot of times um, we've got the word uh, spicy quite a bit from our books recently now, which... Personally, I've got all my life, so I think it's kind of funny that now my the books are getting it as well. Um, and uh, you know, I was joking that my my wife could probably just call me Ginger Spice, but you know, in reality, now that my hair is changing color, I think I'm just going to be Old Spice. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, the podcast is the right color. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, now, the next dragon, the purple dragon, is sort of the opposite. The last thing that came with the dream dragon was the illustration. So the purple dragon, I looked through all the dragons, and I, and I thought, well, there's no purple. Purple is a great – why is there no purple dragon? Like, I know there, there are other versions of dragons that have been done over the years and other publishers have done, so I'm not talking about those because I'm not aware of every single edition in D&D, but um, – Purple is not a common color that's been for any iconic dragon. So I thought that was a great place to start just in terms of the look of it. And then I wanted to have a dragon that used magic. Again, we're in Feyland. So this creature is a very intelligent, cunning, spell-casting dragon um, that would definitely give the party a big challenge because they have the traditional dragon weapons. Although their breath weapon, I was inspired by Skyrim. So this dragon, instead of breathing a weapon, it actually shouts a force shout. So just like the, the song dragon... is in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like the um, the uh, in Skyrim, there's a force shout from the dragons and the dragonborn. So this dragon has a force shout, um, but otherwise is nothing like those. But uh, definitely inspired. And the fact that it's cunning makes it even that that much more dangerous too. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of dragons are there's you know a number of smart dragons. Maybe other than the white, the white dragons not smart, but most of them are quite intelligent. But this one is, um, yeah, quite smart. I mean, wisdom twenty. 
intelligence 18. So not incredibly powerful, but um, pretty, you know, the spell casting will give you um, something to think about. Again, this this creature has seen invisibility again. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, I like throwing that in once in a while. Yeah. So we continue with our dragon theme. We have three more dragons. So the first is the storm dragon. So really, this is inspired purely by the concept of the storm, the reality of the storm in nature. And this dragon is a storm, a living storm. It has magical storm powers, like it it actually can create a tsunami, and um, it can call chain lightning down, and then it has a breath weapon that shoots out water. So it is basically a storm come to life, the storm dragon. The Jabberwock is inspired by uh, Lewis Carroll's work, which now the copyright is uh, run over um, because his work was from a long time ago. So we thought we'd make our own Jabberwock version. Some people mistakenly think it's called the Jabberwocky because his poem is called the Jabberwocky. But if you actually read the poem, the monster is the Jabberwock because we've had this question yeah. a lot. And um, everything here is taken from the poem, all the powers of the creature. That is so cool. The Jabberwock does double damage to objects and structures. Yeah. vulnerability yeah that is amazing so the last dragon we thought we'd do something different and have a smaller version so most dragons in DD are huge or gargantuan uh this one is only large size so like the size of an ogre and what we wanted was a small dragon that would could act as a mount for creatures it's actually from our world of mere where the tieflings use this as a mount but in this book we decided to have a goblin riding him and it's a small dragon that still has a breath weapon and still has some dragon qualities but a more a more a smaller a smaller version so you could have you know you were talking about having a, a number of arcane stalkers deal with a party in this case you could have a dozen or two dozen of these quadracks flying with their riders. And we thought to, for the name, I thought it would make sense to have a name that spoke to the four wings of the creature. And then the the kind of sound of rack we thought would be good. So that's why it's called a quadrack. On the next page, so fairly straightforward, there is a dryad in the main core book and dryads are a big part of forests and fae stories so we thought it made sense to have a queen which is a more powerful version of the regular dryad to say that it has uh, a lot of the creatures since they're from Feyland, i have have the innate spell casting feature which i really like because yeah. there's sometimes where you always, you don't you don't picture a lot of creatures sitting down and going, well, time to open the spell book. I'm going to start. You know, what do I have to learn today? You know, oh, what? Oh, what kind of things yeah. need for that spell? Where these guys are just like, I don't know. I've been able to do that thing forever. You know, it's, it's yeah, just just who I am. Yeah, which I, I exactly. like that. A lot of these are really great. Exactly. I like how Travis illustrated her 
almost like she's playing a guitar too, that pose. I kind of, I like that quite a bit actually. Yeah. Because music, music and dance is also really part of the fate, fate stories as well. Yeah. So I like, I like that quite a bit. Yeah. All right. So next we come to the icon, one of the iconic creatures in this, in this book who we wanted on the cover at the center for a reason. So this is the incredibly powerful elder tree who sits in the center of Feyland, who is the true neutral um, observer and wisdom who just knows, he just knows. And yeah. is in, he cannot move, which I think that might be the only time that I've done that with a creature. Like he can't, can he? Um, I'm just seeing if I gave him dimension door. No, no. So he cannot move at all. His speed is zero. He can't swim. He can't fly. But I thought it made sense because yeah. he is this massive tree at the center of the world. Um, yeah, How and actually, big is he? He's well, he's huge. So he's like a dragon-sized, giant-sized creature. But um, in the new book in Feyland 2, we actually put him on the map because we have detailed maps of the whole world. And there he is sitting in the middle of the map. And um, we've given him actually, because he doesn't move in Feyland 2, I gave him some powerful minions that move around. So um, nice. that will sort of help balance out the fact that he cannot move. Um, but I like that, that he's like, he's the most grounded rooted of any creature we've ever done. Cause that makes sense. All right. So tonight. we have now three creatures in a row after the elder tree that speak to the, the fact that Feyland is where elves are from their original homeland. So these elves are sort of in between elves, like, the real, the true elves have now gone into the real, into the ordinary world. So these are kind of like their cousins, their ancestors who are still more, even more fae-like than an elf is. And so we made an, uh, th three versions. The first is a knight. And we also wanted creatures who were powerful enough to deal with all of these evil creatures that we've made in Feyland. So this knight is a fae knight. The next creature is a Fae Noble, who is a magic-using um, elf who has um, some skills as a warrior as well. They have three attacks, which they could use with their sword or bow. So, and that's CR8, so a pretty tough opponent. And then the next one is also from the cover, our last Fae Elf, which are... Um, the ranger types and again a fairly fairly tough warrior who can handle their own and um, on the cover represent goodness and all of these are chaotic good and the, the artwork for these i just yeah they evokes kind of that uh lord of the rings kind of flavor which i like yeah yeah exactly that is exactly that's a good point that's exactly they're more like the elves that are in uh mirkwood who i think that's galadriel galadriel's 
yeah, the elves that are with Galadriel, they're like a bit more ethereal and um, otherworldly. So that's exactly, that's exactly the idea. Yeah. All right. So next I talked earlier about how dance and music are part of Feyland and Fey story. So here is a dancer, the Everflower. So that's the idea of these are um, and basically like an archetypal dancer, a Fey version of that. And they're warriors as well. So they have a, a sword and they have the ability to summon bees. I thought that, that was something that had never been done. I thought, hey, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So they have a leader who's, who's um, later in the book, her name is or the Orchid. And her and her Everflowers have a strong connection to bees and honey. So we like that sort of, I like that organic um, connection to nature and to Feyland. So like different fruits and plants and all that sort of mesh together. So that's the idea behind that creature. And then also that they, they put on performances all over Feyland. And um, in the new book, we have the dark version of these creatures, um, which I think is kind of a fun, fun thing to do. Not. All right. So the next creature is the first of four fairies. These are real fairies, like tiny fairies. And we have one for each season. And we start with the autumn fairy. And each one has qualities of the seasons. So the fall fairy, the autumn one, is evil. They're, they're very moody and melancholy. And they've got that sort of fall kind of... That look? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's who they are. And then the spring fairy is a good fairy. They're very friendly and optimistic. And then the summer fairy are very um, naughty and active and trickster, but a good, a good fairy. And then the last of the four is the winter fairy who is spiteful and mean and cold-hearted. And so the idea with those is that each one of them helps tell you about the, the courts that are part of the, the good court and the evil court. And they give you a better idea of what those courts are like and what's going on in Feyland. Um, and then my favorite uh, floor of Feyland is on the winter fairy page here on the left, which is the dumb guy fungi. <laughs> I'm glad you said it out loud because I was going to. <laughs> Yeah. And, Once consumed, um, your intelligence score is lowered by two for a day. Yeah. So <laughs> this is one of those things that I know some people really love and some people are like, oh, I'd rather not deal with that. Um, but I just had somebody the other day who said the reason that they wanted to buy this book <laughs> was because they found out there was dumb guy fungi in it. <laughs> well, and then, if you're not having fun when putting these together, you know. Why bother? Yeah. And we've put Dumb Guy Fungi, I believe it's made an appearance in every book somehow since then, because I, I can't let it go. I can't let it go. All right. Next, we have the fake caterpillar. So again, inspired by Lewis Carroll's work, but we thought we'd do something a bit different. And the main thing that we changed is that his um, smoke rings can actually be sent out and grapple people and trap them, uh, which I thought was a cool um, mechanic. It's very, so the whole, very cool. The whole party could be trapped in smoke rings. 
Um, and again, you know, I never really thought about it that much because I guess it's a part of my my uh, um, growing up or my my life. But this is another very <laughs> hallucinogenic <laughs> connection. <laughs> Yeah. What were you doing between the ages of 20 and 25? <laughs> I don't remember. I was trapped in a smoke ring. All right. Um, now we have, yeah, speaking of being trapped. So I love what Travis did here with the illustration. So this is basically a creature who is not from Feyland, who's come to Feyland or has ended up there. And now they're lost. Um, and they can't get back home. And I love the illustration because what Travis has here is someone who's lost, who's who's uh, having some, you know, maybe mental health challenges as well, and also showing how you can get lost in your technology, a different sort of magic. And here it looks to me like a person who's lost in their cell phone, who's who's addicted to their cell phone. That, I mean, that's what I see when I look at this. And oh, sorry, um, what I was looking at my phone. What'd you say? About yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have a feature here too that because of their condition where they're having trouble dealing with being trapped in Feyland, they actually affect other people with their a psychic illness because they haven't found a way to to work through it or to get help to get through it or found a way home. That's another way to say it. And um, yeah, so there's a lot going on here. I think it could be used in lots of different ways. And um, yeah, there's always a, a way of showing that Feyland is, it's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It comes up again. Uh, the second edition of uh, Monsters <laughs> of Feyland will be called uh, Monsters of Feyland, it's trip. Yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. Uh, here's another creature which I thought, oh, I this is a bit over the top. I don't know if I want to put her in. And now I found out uh, people love the frog witch. And I know that I, in one of the, the sessions that we've had, we actually encountered the, the frog witch at some point. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because this creature, this happens sometimes. She started out totally different. I mean, what happened was I wanted a helpful grandmother type figure in my first um, 5e adventure that I was DMing. And I came up with this sort of chaotic neutral grandmotherly frog witch who rode around on a frog who was quite powerful and who helped the characters most of the time. But when I was making the book, I thought, I don't really want to have that. I want to have a... a a witch who's more of an opponent to the characters, uh, more of an adversary. And I can do that grandmother figure another way. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I really liked what Travis did. She sort of looks like a frumpy housewife. Did I just say that out loud? Um, <laughs> and uh, she's not. She is a very tough, challenging opponent. And in Feyland 2, we've taken the bar to a new level and she's even more powerful. Hey, that actually kind of excites me because full disclosure, I have not seen the next book at all in any way, shape or form. So yeah. it's going to be a surprise just along like with everybody else. So <laughs> looking forward to it. All right. 
next we have the Frost Lord. So again, the theme of the different courts, the different seasons in Feyland. And there's a lot of creatures that are archetypal uh, snow uh, arc fey, like the Snow Queen. And so I thought I'd wanted to make a a male version. He's sort of a um, a spoiled brat. And I have this, here's an archetype that comes up a lot in my books. And uh, in our books, as there's a team involved, I should say, um, uh, what comes up a lot are spoiled brats, the spoiled prince archetype. Uh, and so here's another one of them. And uh, CR 17, Arc Fae, we wanted to have some really challenging Arc Fae for the party to deal with. And next we come up with our giant section. So the first is a mist giant. You can kind of disappear into mists and has some magic and he's more like a fey giant. And you will say, not see. He's almost invisible from what yeah, I understand. I think you might be surprised where he, this inspiration comes from. So this was much more visual. There's a scene in one of the Star Wars prequels where the Gungan are riding their mounts through the swamp. And I think it's a beautiful scene. It's kind of a misty swamp. Yeah, they're and they're on, these, yeah. they're on these large creatures moving through the mists. And that's where I got the idea for this creature. Um, to have this so large cool. creature, but they're actually stealthy because they use the rain or the mist or fog to... Um, surprise the party. And I love what Travis did in the illustration. This is, yeah, He's probably one of the sort of favorites. faint force ghost kind of feel to it. Yeah. And I love that night, like very archetypal night. And he has no idea what's going on. So this is going to be an encounter he will remember if he survives. This is true. All right. So. In the core book, there are many giants, but they don't have a leader. I decided the giants need a leader. So this is the king of the giants, who we call the Mountain Lord. And that initial illustration before the monsters start is of the Mountain Lord peering out of Feyland. And so this is a very, very, very tough giant. <laughs> and um, on the right is a rock giant who blends into the nature, you know, the surroundings. But most importantly, he's basically a rock-throwing giant that never never runs out of rocks because he's made of rock. So again, this was more mechanically inspired by the rock-throwing feature of giants. Nice. I don't think we've encountered these at all. I don't uh, not yet anyway. Yeah, I think I used them once, uh, maybe not against your group, your party. All right, so here we get back to more traditional fey on the left, um, a tiny fey creature. And gnomes, in most folklore, gnomes are really, really tiny, European folklore, I believe. And so this is a very curious gnome who, his major contribution to your adventure is that he can help creatures gain wisdom, but there are consequences of this action, namely that um, 
your character might get very sick and hallucinate. And um, yeah, it's a very different sort of mechanic and something I thought I'd try. Especially since the, you know, they might learn something really important, but then they can't move for like a minute and a half or whatever. Exactly, I mean, that, exactly. So dangerous. It, basically the idea is that sometimes you gain great insight, but it comes at a cost. It's not always an easy process. That's the idea. Um, hey guys, we've the, got this great idea, but oh. Yeah. <laughs> on the right um, is one of the creatures, again, I thought might be too silly for the book. And I think most people enjoy him. Um, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if a goblin somehow knew about the Labyrinth movie and dressed up like David Bowie's character, the Goblin King. And uh, some people think this is a funny idea. I know not everybody. I not everybody I think it's great because the, the fact that he's got the the glass uh, balls in his in his hand, like that to me, just right off the bat, it's like you know what, that just makes it. Who cares how silly it is? It's awesome. And uh, it started a a tradition of every book has a Bowie connection. So this is the first book in the series and every monster book after it, if you look through there, there's some monster connected to David Bowie and he's, he was always a big inspiration for me. Um, yeah. So a very strange, eccentric goblin leader. That's what we have here. I like it. I like it. Speaking of goblins. Yeah. So let's do a few more for part one tonight. So we have goblins. I thought, you know, they've got to have a shaman. A magic using goblin is something unusual. And um, it's, you know, there are many humanoid tribes have goblins and so, or sorry, have shamans. So that's what we added here. Uh, the wing goblins. So this is really taken from, again, folklore where a number of goblins in, uh, in folklore, in European mythology, are actually quite big. They're not always these smaller goblins that we are more accustomed to. So we thought, let's make a big bulky goblin, one that can fly, but he can't fly that well. And um, that's what we came up with, is a flying goblin. And uh, the, my favorite story about this one is that somebody said, oh, is that a flying ogre? Because I love that idea. And I said, no, but in the next book, I'll make a flying ogre. And we did. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, gremlins. Oh, nice. All right. So gremlin, definitely inspired by the movie in the 80s. This, actually, I guess there's a few gremlins movies. And uh, these are mischievous fae. Again, true fae because they're tiny, tiny creatures. Um, of course, you give them pack tactics and you have a whole bunch of them and they could cause parties a lot of issues. And I gave them a sabotage feature where they can sabotage mechanical systems or vehicles. Nice. The forest hag was really, you know, I love hags and witches as villains, as an archetype to, for the players to defeat. And so here we came up with some new ideas for um, a hag. And uh, this one has some powerful magic. Instead of tree stride, where you can travel from one tree to another in the forest magically. We gave this creature mushroom stride so she can travel from one giant mushroom to another. Um, nice. 
and she has a quite powerful staff that she uses. And um, yeah, a new kind of hag for the party. Like uh, the next one um, is the Harvest Maiden, really inspired by the fall and um, sort of the kind of the the organic and sensual elements of the fall and even of the idea of like a smoky voice like in jazz and so that has sort of that feel that's where that came from this kind of sultry um enchantress connected to fall uh, a magic user and uh, a seducer the next one the hater I actually submitted this to another book of where I collaborated with a number of people and they rejected this creature, ah. <laughs> which I kind of laughed at because I thought, uh, you know, there are so many of these creatures in our world right now. I think it's important that they're shown. So this is the internet troll. 100% the internet troll. So I'll read. The ugliest of humanoids is the hater. These little fae are jealous of creativity and happiness. Creative works make them feel very uncomfortable. They are cowardly, deceptive creatures filled with self-loathing. And there's more. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought it, yeah, let's hear. Here's a chance to, uh, to show you what the internet trolls actually look like. Hey, you know, I mean... They look exactly as I picture them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do one more for the first part of this right. deep dive. Uh, the Hatter, a classic, classic character, obviously inspired by, again, Lewis Carroll. And um, we thought we'd do something different with the mechanic, though. He is a challenging arc fae. He is chaotic neutral in this book. We make a darker version in Feyland 2. Uh, this chaotic neutral hatter has, you know, magic, magic resistance. But we thought we'd do something unusual with his hats. So what we did was he has hats that are connected to the seasons. And each of those hats have different effects. And basically throws them almost like a Frisbee, exactly like a Frisbee, he would throw these hats and it would land on the character's head if they if he hits. Nice. And the spring hat basically puts you to sleep. The summer hat um, charms you. The fall hat confuses you. And the winter hat um, slows you. So you, you basically, um, you can barely move. So, nice. yeah, we thought we'd do something very different with the Hatter. And um, I like Travis's interesting take with the illustration. Well, especially since uh, you have, with like a classic character like this, yeah, everyone's perception of, of the Mad Hatter is pretty much the same. Kind of this, yeah. you know, guy that at some point must have been dropped on his head several times, and then did a bunch <laughs> of drugs and just never recovered. Um, but you've never, I, at least for me, I would never have imagined that he would be somebody who could do something like that. Like I'm just gonna totally, 
Oh, oh, it threw that hat that way. Oh, it landed on that guy's head. Oh, it's so interesting. But yeah, these kinds of things, uh, I just, I like little touches like this for something that, you know, every, I, I would think anyone who's read a book at one point in their life has actually right. got that kind of visual in their head. So I love it. Love it. Yeah. So we try, yeah, we try as much as possible to try something new and give something new for the players and the DM and some inspiration. Maybe they, you know, maybe they'll change it, but they'll keep part of it. And um, yeah, that's about the first half or so of the book. And next time we can go through more, more, well, the rest of it. And um, you can see that the inspirations come from tons of different areas. Um, a lot tonight, yeah. there was, you know, literature, um, visual art, uh, music, um, just the name. I think the doubt trap was the only one tonight where it was just the name I had first. But there are many different ways. Um, I don't, there weren't any examples tonight of real life uh, kind of inspiring creatures, but that happens a fair bit too. There are some examples of that. Um, yeah. As I say that, that's not totally true. The internet troll is definitely an. I, I, I was going to say something about that, but. Yeah. You know, and yeah. <laughs> the Harvest Maiden, too. The Smoky Seductress. Yes, that's some real life uh, experience there. Um, yeah, some there's definitely some of that in there. And um, yeah, lots of different ways. And mechanically um, can be inspired by some of the some of the D and D mechanics that that can that can create a creature as well. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. But uh, I and we're only halfway through. Or, yeah. Or just just under halfway through, I think. Just looking at the yeah. page count anyway. But um, so there you have it, everyone. Uh, you've had a deep dive into half the creatures from the book, and of course, uh, if you want your own copy of the book, you can go to this website. It's called worldofmere.com, where you can find all of the links and all of the things you need to actually go and uh, and and find your own. I think I think uh, they can they can buy the hardcover, but they also can get the digital. Can they get a soft cover as well? I don't actually know. Yeah, yeah. All the books in this series, there's a PDF soft cover and a hardcover version, and we'll put the links below. We'll put links below too of other reviews, other takes. Uh, people have had of the book as well and um yeah and we'll find uh we'll find a way to link to michael mordor's diorama that you talked about of the cover which is quite a beautiful piece of artwork very cool all right well uh thank you again for listening thank you for watching uh and uh, don't forget to come back uh next week where we will be uh, doing the rest of the Monsters of Feyland book. And uh, we're on the socials and all that kind of fun stuff. All As Andrew has said several times, they're all down here somewhere. And uh, thank you again, Andrew. That's amazing, man. You're welcome. Thanks, Shane. Bye, later. Bye.